All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm standing down here, but I promise I, I didn't forget what we're doing. We, it's for a reason. But we're going to start off the night. It's uh, an exciting time. Uh, tonight's really a, a full night, and uh, it's no ordinary Sunday evening service, which every Sunday evening service or any service should be. I mean, we should have some sort of expectation and excitement about it, but you know, tonight is a very exciting time. We, uh, tonight we're going to start off here in just a moment with uh, a baby dedication. Um, it's, I don't know, uh, you know, Presbyterians sprinkle their babies, Baptists, we, we won't go that far, but we'll, we'll, we'll do baby dedications. And, uh, but what, really what this is, this is not for, for you know, our, our little man's salvation here. Rather, this is something that is a, a commitment of mom and dad uh, saying that they are going to raise Ronnie in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They're going to raise him not just in church, but rather to raise him to know Christ. Uh, and, and then as well for the church, you and I are saying, hey, we're with you. Whatever we can do to help you, support you, pray for you, even if that means if one of us has to bend them over our knee and whoop them, right, to make sure that they're behaving, right? We, that's whatever we got to do. Uh, but it, it's bringing them accountable before God and to their children and as well as us to them and before God. Y'all know this as a church, we're one body with many members, right? And these different members have each their, their own part to play and gifts and talents and things. But when we all come together, we truly are the family of God. And as a family, you hear the old phrase, it, it takes a village. Well, it don't just take a village in church. It takes the body of Christ to, to help, encourage, to edify, and strengthen one another. And so that's what we're going to do. But let's begin uh, tonight. I want to begin by reading um, a familiar uh, verse for us. And then uh, in just a moment, I'll have them all come up and the uh, family come up and, and get... get uh, Get Ronnie front and center here so everybody can see him, and we'll hold him up like Lion King, and <laughs> I got some fruit in the back we'll crack open. If you haven't seen Lion King, go home tonight, watch Lion King, all right, and then, then you'll get it, all right. Um, but uh, we'll bring them up because we want to we surround them in prayer and uh, to, just to ask the Lord's blessing, and as well to ask God to help us to hold each other accountable, and that we would... Um, be edifying and glorifying um, in, in this process. But tonight, Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6. Now, you guys have heard it, probably memorized it, seen it a million times, especially with children's ministry. It's train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I want us to, to before we go any further, understand this. The book of Proverbs, oftentimes, for a lot of people, can be confusing. Some people view the book of Proverbs where every single thing is a, a definite promise. Uh, well, we have to understand that not every child that you've raised in church is still in church, is it? Unfortunately, in the day and age in which we live, this happens far too often. So does that mean the Bible is not true? Well, no, that's not what that means at all. The Bible is absolutely true. But this is talking about a principled matter throughout the Scripture that we find that not just a parent is to raise their child in church and going to church, there's plenty of kids who have lots of little uh, colored pictures of Noah's Ark hanging on the refrigerator that still do not know Jesus, all right? The, the goal is not for them to know how to do church. The goal is for our children, our grandchildren, to know Christ and to make Him known, to glorify Him throughout their days. But I firmly believe that begins with mom and dad. It begins at home, begins with parents. But this Bible principle that is found here is that if we train up, the same idea of train up is what you and I and what the Lord Jesus called to make disciples. We are to make disciples and there's not an early enough age to begin reading scripture and praying and singing with our kids. 
There's not a young enough age to begin asking them questions and to begin uh, teaching them the doctrines and the things of God. I think every kid on their first birthday ought to get a, a copy of Basic Theology by Charles Ryrie, okay? <laughs> I, I, maybe not, maybe not. But, but every kid should be taught by their parents. All right, what happens, unfortunately... And is that we bring our kids to church and we want to have the trained professionals, if you will, take care of everything. I want you to know, mom and dad, ultimately, falls on you. But for church, for you guys, it is our job to give them the support, the love, the correction, the help necessary to make sure that they stick to this vow, this covenant, this promise that they're making tonight before God and before us. So let's, uh, let's tonight want to have the family come up and we're going to pray for them. And so y'all come on up here. If y'all want to, or at least mom and dad and baby. Yeah, yeah. I ain't done one of these before, so y'all can do whatever y'all want to do. It can be a new tradition, right? They're not going to tell you no different. We'll, we'll pretend we even planned it, right? All right. All right, so new tradition is they're staying down here. So next baby dedication, mom and dad come up. <laughs> no, all right. Uh, well, tonight we've got just a simple certificate. We have... Uh, the one big Bible story book, and, and it's got pictures for Brother Tony. And <laughs> but the, but I, I, this is uh, by the Gospel Project. They, uh, the, this covers Old and New Testament, giving Scripture, and gives you guys just a tool reference just to help and, um, and uh, to help train disciple. And that's what we want to do as well to help you guys. So uh, at this time, while you guys are out here, I'm going to lead in prayer, but don't listen to what i got to say. I want you to pray for this dear family, and as we lift up uh, Brother Ronnie, and we lift up Tony and Carissa uh, tonight, and this family, and that God would bless them, would encourage them, and that they would be held accountable, and they certainly will before God, but that you and I will be as well tonight. Tonight, you and I as a church are saying, we are going to help and edify and encourage them. Do you all agree to that? Amen. All right. Well, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this night. I'm grateful that we can begin this service by celebrating the fact that, one, Lord, You've given the gift of life and of children, Lord, that we can see Your handiwork from the moment of conception, Lord, that, that Your hand is, is forming and fashioning and shaping and making a life made in, the, in Your image, Lord, to, to bring You glory and honor. And God, we thank You for little brother Ronnie. And God, we do pray that You would help him in his days, God, to, to come to know You to serve you and to be used of you, but ultimately, God, we do pray especially for Tony and Carissa and their family uh, to, to promise and to be held accountable according to your word and through the church, that they would raise him, nurture and admonition of, of the Lord, and God, that they would seek to not just bring him to church, but God, to, to make sure that they bring him to Christ, that he, he would know you, and Lord, that he would see the walk and the talk of his mom and dad and his family, Lord, what it means to truly be a disciple, to truly be a follower. God, I pray, Lord, as a church, that us, as a local body of believers, God, that we would dedicate our lives and our time, our effort, our talents, our prayers to this family and, and countless other families, Lord, who are trying to do the same. God, I pray that you would bless them and bless this evening. And God, we thank you. We're going to praise you for the great things that you're going to do in the life of this dear family. In Christ's name, amen. All right, y'all give them a hand here. All right, that's for y'all to sign. I signed my part, and this is y'all's. All right. All right, now, Tony, don't read the whole thing at one shot now. All right. He should be good. All right. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to begin now by me getting my Bible. 
and <laughs> we're going to get started. I know tonight's a little, little different. Where, where's my Bible? Up there? Is my Bible already up there? What, where? Oh, there it is, see? <laughs> Somebody else will <laughs> come up here tonight. Y'all might be one. Oh, man. All right, y'all pray for me, too. Uh, all right. Hey, praise the Lord. Tonight we do have a, a full night, and I'll just be honest, my brain's been just about everywhere, but this morning we could have just went on home to heaven. It would have been just about as good, but um, anyways, tonight uh, I want to begin um, by uh, opening up the scripture, and tonight what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Colossians chapter number 2. Tonight as well, not just being this baby dedication, we've got the, the two ordinances of the local church here. What we find tonight is we're going to see in just a moment, here in a few minutes rather, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and uh, tonight we're going to preach and look at the scripture found here in Colossians 2, which deals with several things, but ultimately it deals with the personal work of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater, there's no better topic, there's no higher topic than to preach than that of Jesus and what he has done for us regardless of the service, regardless of the emphasis. And tonight we're again going to celebrate and by partaking of the Lord's Supper tonight. But then after that, we're going to have some singing. And uh, then, um, praise the Lord, tonight we get to baptize uh, Miss Carissa. And so it's a special night. And then tonight, if there's anybody else, while the water's still warm, and it's pretty warm, by the way, uh, anyone else uh, can, can come on in. The water's fine. But uh, tonight I want to begin here by reading Colossians chapter number 2. Verse 11 down through 15. The Apostle Paul writes, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this night. God, thank you for this time, for the service that we can gather. We can open up your word. And I pray now through the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, God, that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds. God, that we would have our hearts stirred and prepared to partake of Lord's Supper, and as well, God, to celebrate not only the work that you've done for us, but God, the work that you've done in the life uh, of those to be baptized, and God, that we would be able to celebrate this time in the life of your church, and Lord, that this would be a, a catalyst and, and a, a springboard for the great things that you're going to continue to do this year, and God, that we would be full of faith and trusting in you. Lord, we give this time to you now. Touch my heart and my mind, and guide my tongue in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin by first of all looking at verse 11 to 13 at the baptism in Christ. As we're going to talk about tonight, and as Chris already knows, as we've talked, and as you guys know, but we're going to beat this dead horse because it, to those who love horses, sorry. I, I don't mean, well, we got to beat this dead horse. There, there are unfortunately far too many who view baptism or the Lord's Supper as these sort of ways in which they can earn this sort of merit before God, there is not a single ounce of anything that you can do or produce that will give you merit or favor before God. That is why it is all of grace and must be of grace. Uh, every, every salvation has always been of uh, the complete and total giving of God's grace, something that we do not deserve, nor can we earn. And, and as we see here in the scripture here, he tells us, in verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ. We have to address, first of all, in this passage tonight, the problem that, that they were facing. As Paul is writing to this church, they've got a whole long laundry list of issues, which sounds like all of our churches, don't it, right? And we've got a, plenty of issues. I often wonder what the Lord would write to each one of our own individual churches, right? If, if you can find a perfect church, let the rest of us know, we'll come too. But I want to thank God that God is building his church and that God is at work in every local body that is preaching the word. And we're not in competition with any other. And as long as God is being proclaimed, his truth is being proclaimed, the gospel is being preached, and the Bible is being opened up, and, and the folks are being found faithful. Praise the Lord for that local body. Now, when we look here, in the church of Colossae, there was an issue of the outward signs of inward faith had become outward signs of not an inward faith, but rather, they had just become outward signs. And the folks had begun, depending as they always have from the very beginning of of sin entering into this world, man has done all that he possibly can on his own accord to try to please God, to try to win over God, or to try to earn salvation, and it is absolutely impossible. Our fathers, uh, uh, Adam and his wife Eve, the very moment that they sinned, they look and realize we're naked, and we've been naked, but now we realize and understand where our nakedness is, and, and now we're ashamed. And, and they not only go to try to hide from God behind a tree, the first thing that they do is they cover themselves up with fig leaves. They literally try to cover themselves up with whatever they can get a hold of to, to make this sort of work. And ever since that very moment, what have we done as humans? We have done everything that we can to try to be clothed before God, but all that we are clothed in by our own hands, by our own works, is nothing but filthy rags. Here is one commentator puts it, uh, Douglas Moo, he says, The physical circumcision was, of course, instituted by God to be, a design, uh, to be a sign of the covenant between him and the people of Israel. You can find this over in Genesis chapter 17. God institutes this, and he takes it very seriously, even to the, the point of if anyone's going to travel with you, live with you, uh, that it must be uh, going through this circumcision process. This was an outward sign for the, for the males of the, the Jewish uh, people showing that they belong to God. It was a, a branding, if you will, but it was to be as well uh, the sign that they inwardly were following God's covenant promises, that they were to keep His rules, His laws, His commands, that they were to follow Him. Ultimately, what it should have done is to drive them not to works, but to drive them towards faith in the God who made that covenant. However, what happens is with the outward signs is that our inward hearts begin to trust in those outward things. Well, I've been, uh, for the Jew, I'm circumcised, and I, I was, uh, like the Apostle Paul gives this whole long list, if anyone can boast, he says, all these things. He says, but yet I have nothing that I can boast in except for what Christ has actually done for me. But the Jews, unfortunately, what they had done is that they had taken what was to be just an outward sign of this inward covenant with God and His people and had turned it into something of man's works and of religion. Throughout the centuries of the practice, the Jews had become more focused on the outward than the inward faith that was the, uh, to accompany circumcision. Faith was to go along with it because there is no, no work that has ever saved a soul, including the Old Testament. All souls, all the New Testament, have been saved the same way that we're saved today, and that is by grace alone, through faith alone. You and I look back to Christ alone and what He has done for us, and for them, they look forward to a substitutionary Redeemer who had been promised from Genesis chapter 3. All, though, are saved by grace through 
faith. There is no work that can save a soul. There is no work that we can add. As a matter of fact, the moment that we add a work, that is when it ceases to be grace. That is when it ceases to be real salvation. And so even here, as one commentator deals with this, as Paul had came to a view circumcision as a nationalistic token that drove an unnecessary wedge between Jews and Gentiles. What taking place? You guys ever heard of the Judaizers? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you just nod your head up and down. It'll make me feel good, all right? The Judaizers, what they had begun doing is that they had gotten to the place where they had only focused on the outward works, on the outward things, right? Everything had become about how much Scripture you can memorize, how nice your robes were, uh, how much money you gave, the long prayers, the, the eloquent words, uh, the, the works, and of course the circumcision. What had taken place is that many of them had trusted Christ, but then had begun preaching that if you're a Gentile, in order to be saved, not only must you profess faith in Jesus, but you as well must then go through the physical act of circumcision. I want you to know that that is not going to add to your salvation, nor is it going to make you more sanctified than the rest of the, of the saved crowd of that day. Circumcision means nothing unless there's faith. Here, what we're really getting to the root of is that tonight, if you partake of the Lord's Supper and this baptism that we're going to get to watch and celebrate, ultimately, they certainly have some significance, but neither one brings salvation. Both occur and happen and are participated in because of salvation, because of faith. Outside of faith, all we've got is you drink a little bit of juice, you had a nasty cracker, and then we watch somebody go in wet and come out wet, and that's it, right? That's it. It is faith that changes things. It is faith that there is power, that there is real, uh, real spiritual emphasis in things taking place. This is all by grace. Now, the baptism in the church here, as he talks about in verse number 12, he says, in whom also you are circumcised with the circ- uh, excuse me, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen unto him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. This baptism here, first of all, before we ever get to a physical water baptism, there's the baptism of the Spirit of, of salvation, to be born again. And, and the, the outward physical water baptism of submersion is, is truly just an outward sign of, of what has happened on the inside, that a soul has trusted Christ and has been changed by, by the gospel. But I want to turn for just a moment tonight to look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 deals a little bit with this here, uh, sort of going through the, uh, the issue of circumcision. And as Paul writes Romans in chapter 1, he says, if anyone say that's by faith, the just must shall live by faith. He goes on to show then, of course, in the rest of the chapter that all the Gentiles are, are under the wrath of God. But then in, in chapter 2, he says to you Jew, who says right now, oh yeah, you tell them, Paul, tell those nasty, filthy, rotten, stinking sinner Gentiles. He says, oh, I'm talking to you too. In chapter 2, he goes on to say the Jews are as well guilty. And now, we look in chapter 2, verse 25, he says, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outwardly in the flesh but he is a jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that 
of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. And then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 28. And he goes through this whole long list. Chapter 3, really, he comes out and he says, Gentile, Jew alike, if you are alive and breathing, you are under the wrath of God and you have a sin nature, a sin curse, and are in need of redemption. Matter of fact, he says in verse uh, 22, he says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Notice that. For all have sinned. He says, Jew, Gentile, all have sinned. They're all found sinners. They're all found guilty. They're all found under the wrath of God. He says, and they come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not through the law, not through circumcision, not through baptism, whether water, sprinkling, tinkling, dunking, I don't care. He says there is no satisfaction of the wrath of God. There is no justification outside of any of that. It is only in and by through faith alone. He says, in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It is not our taking the Lord's Supper that is going to be the remission of sins, nor is it going to be a baptism that is for the remission of sins. It is by faith alone. To declare, I say in verse 26, that this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You cannot keep the law, nor can the law save you. It is simply by grace through faith in Christ. And by the way, tonight, your testimony of salvation, a real salvation testimony does not begin with, I'm a member of such and such church, or I got baptized when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever age, and or even you take it further, and, and I've, I've, I've got friends and family who have told me they're saved because they got baptized in a river. Hey, praise God if you get baptized in a river. Praise God if you got baptized in a baptistry, but I want you to know, I don't care where you got baptized, that did not save you. So tonight, what we're about to watch and partake of is not a salvation, nor is it a forgiveness of sins, but rather it is because salvation has taken place, forgiveness has already come, and now the outward expression of going, look at what God has done. And tonight, from the Lord's Supper to baptism, it is to bring us to a place where we are humbled before God that He would save sinners like us freely by His grace, freely through faith in, in Jesus and what He has done for us. And that now we are choosing to identify with Him. Our Lord's Supper that we are about to partake of in just a few moments, it is to identify and, and to remember what Christ has done. But as well as baptism, it is to identify with Jesus. Now, baptism in the church here, baptism, when we believe, of course, and preach submersion in water, became the identifier for many. This outward sign was a public statement and the inward belief and commitment. Y'all ever heard of John the Baptist? Or as I believe to properly refer to him as John the Baptizer? He, now, by the way, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer did not invent baptism. All right? He, folks were already baptizing before then. There were plenty of people dunked long before then. Right? And even in that same idea, they were still doing so to be identified with a 
particular message, belief system, way of life. But John came to fulfill the prophecy to come and sort of make the way, if you will, to prepare. He came as a herald, if you will, that the king had come. He is sounding the trumpet out in the wilderness that God is here, the Lamb of God. Behold, behold the Lamb of God which take away the sins of the world. That same message is the same message that we preach today, by the way. We firmly believe that Jesus has come and is coming again, and today we sound the trumpet, we sound the alarm. And, and certainly it feels today uh, in our lifetime and in our nation and in this world that we are in a wilderness and we're preaching. The only thing missing is we don't have the, the same sort of uh, wilderness sheet clothes that John the Baptist had, right? I'd love, I've always said on, on an old-fashioned Sunday, I'd love nothing more than to wear robes and sandals like John the Baptist <laughs> instead, of, instead of bibs and everything. But nevertheless, what we find, though, is John is preaching. Not baptism for the mission of sins, but rather to identify with the kingdom of God. Now, over in Matthew chapter 3, turn with me there for a couple moments. Matthew chapter number 3. Verse number 13. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to be baptized. If baptism was for salvation, did Jesus have to get saved? Is this what Jesus is doing? He's getting saved? No. This is an identification. This is, a, uh, this is Jesus now going literally into, the, into the, the public ministry, if you will. And what's about to happen is this is taking place even for a greater purpose. For God the Father to declare, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. For immediately following, for the next thing to take place, for the Spirit to drive Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, into the wilderness to go and be tempted so that God's Word would prevail and that uh, the continual um, defeat of Satan would, that Jesus would go ahead and give him a taste. You're not going to win here. You're not going to win at the cross. You're not going to win at the tomb. He's not going to win ever. It shows that Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost and that Christ has come and will come to conquer. Now in verse 13 it says, Then come with Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lifting a, a lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a wonderful passage to see. But then we find over, um, over then in verse uh, 18 to 20, we see in Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus has now begun his ministry, and now he's calling disciples. He's calling uh, people to come and to join him on something far greater. Even some of John the Baptist's disciples would then go follow Christ. And, and John the Baptist ultimately would say, Hey, don't come to me, go to Jesus. Right? It, it, when, when some would come to John the Baptist and would say, well, hey, they're, they're baptizing more than we are. He goes, good. I must decrease and he must increase. John is preparing the way for Jesus' command to, for believers to be baptized and, and for believers to, to come 
to Christ. And, and this is what he would call his disciples to do. And then he would then tell his disciples uh, for sort of one final time in, in the last part of Matthew 28, where he would say, And Jesus came and spake unto them after the resurrection, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. If there is ever a place where us as Baptist churches fail, it is that we make converts, we dunk them, and then we leave them to themselves. Jesus says, don't just get them to get salvation and then dunk them so you can say an X amount of time or an X amount of services, we had X amount saved, X amount dunked, look at what we've done, but rather the real fruit is found in making disciples. And the real command is to make disciples. The water baptism submersion is truly just the foundational and first step for a new believer to to go, I'm identifying with Christ. My life is His openly before you guys. I want you to hold me accountable. I'm being held accountable that we, we and I, we belong to the Lord. And this is saying something far greater. This is speaking to the Great Commission and as well as it is a challenge to us to then continue to train and make disciples of the people that we don't and not to leave them to fend for themselves and that it would encourage us to go, well, look at what God is doing with even just one soul. Now, what if we went and did it a little bit more? Could you imagine, right, tonight, looking around, I don't know how many we have. Imagine if every single saved person in this room made, saw one soul saved and baptized and saw them discipled. Look, look at what's happened. We doubled. Now, then what if every believer then after that, just one? You've done it again and again. It's not so that our kingdom would grow, but that we would see the kingdom of God grown and, and, and preached and, and strengthened. This water baptism that Jesus preached and that John the Baptist preached is an outward sign of this inward faithful obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and identifies us in the gospel and with fellow believers. This is what we often use for, for church membership and things, but it's much more than that. And we have to, though, understand that while this is such an important issue, while it's such an important doctrine and belief and practice, that this outward sign, neither baptism in a river or, or a baptistry, nor will circumcision for the Jew, neither one will do anyone any good unless they have been placed in Christ by the blood, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by faith in Him. But this now becomes our identity. Our identity is now found in Jesus, in His death, burial, and His resurrection. Our life becomes by Christ, for Christ, through Christ, and to Christ. And our baptism, and the baptism which we'll see tonight, and even the Lord's Supper tonight, is to be an expression of such. As we look back here, he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him, the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a resurrected Savior. And you and I are new creations, new creatures in Christ who are called to live a life of victory. 
We talked a little bit about this this morning for, for a couple minutes that you know, we, we have Victory Way as our local church name and, and, and we should live in such a way. So many believers today have no victory, but what we're going to participate in tonight and to see and to watch and partake of ourselves is it is reminding us of the victory that we have in Jesus. We see how the victory was won. He says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You know what forgiving you of all trespasses means? It means he forgave you of all trespasses. Every single one, past, present, and future. And praise the Lord for it. That we are now clean before God. That we went from having nothing but dirty rags of our own to now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And look at verse 14. We find this blotting that Jesus does for us. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. So what was against us? Really two things to a degree, but the law, because we couldn't keep it, and because we can't keep the law, to not keep the law is disobedience to the law, which is sin. The law and sin were very much against us. In Jesus' day, criminals would have their crimes nailed to the cross above them to show what they had been convicted of, what they were being killed for, what they were being crucified for. The idea here is for us, it is a sin debt against us that makes us worthy of death. It was not Jesus who was the one that had done anything worthy of death. Rather, it was you and I who deserved the cross. It was you and I who deserved the wrath of God to abide upon us. But instead, Jesus has taken our place. As a matter of fact, even the day that Jesus died, there was another soul that was going to be the one who was going to be killed that day. He gets to walk while Jesus takes His place. Ultimately, in so doing, Jesus takes the place for all who would trust in Him and we get to partake and to, to literally be crucified with Him. Our old life, our, our sin, nailed just as He is. Instead, Jesus has blotted it out. And He Himself, it is as if as He is nailed to the cross, so is our sin. So is the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. Another way to maybe help contextualize the handwriting of ordinance that's against us, it would be, this is our sinful rap sheet. This is every sin that should have locked us away and put us away. This is every sin that should have sent us to, to hell and go directly to and, and, and do not pass go. This is what should have taken us and this is everything. This is, this is the fruit of our flesh. This is our sinful nature. This is our every wicked thought, every wrong motive, every ill word, every wicked thing that we've ever done, all the lust, all the pride, all of our filth, all of our unrighteousness. And it's against us. And we're found guilty. But yet, in Christ, we are now found innocent because of what Jesus has done. One commentator kind of deals with this, and I think he puts it beautifully in the way he brings it to one of my favorite hymns, and we'll see that here. He says, The completeness and definitiveness of our forgiveness are the theme of verse 14, which Paul presents via two striking word pictures. Paul's first word picture portrays a document that all human beings have signed, an IOU in which we pledge complete allegiance to God. 
Our sins stand as conclusive evidence that we have failed to give God that allegiance and so that document is against us and condemns us. But God has taken that document and wiped it clean. Indeed, He has taken it completely out of the picture. He has, in fact, in a second word picture that both highlights the completeness of the removal and the means by which it was accomplished, nailed it to the cross. The third stanza of Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, beautifully captures the point of this verse. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is not you and I who has paid for our sin, but rather our sin, Jesus, has become our sin. He, we, we often stop short and we say Jesus paid the price for our sins. Yes, He absolutely did. But He who knew no sin became sin. So that you and I might be able to look to that cross and see where our freedom was purchased, to see where our forgiveness has come from. The cross says, as Jesus cries out, it is finished. Every time we see that cross, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we see baptism, every time that we take a breath as a believer, it should remind us, and we should be reminded through the power of the Spirit, Christ has paid it all. We sing, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The victory we find in Jesus then concludes in verse 15. Not only in verse 14 that He took it away, nailing it to His cross, but then having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Jesus did not just pay the price and become our sin on the cross and then die the death that we deserve, but rather He rose again. And the beautiful picture of baptism is the same identification that we are dead and resurrected. It is this beautiful picture that, that Jesus is alive and well today, but that for you and I who have trusted in Him, that we have a newness of life. Jesus here is seen as a conqueror of hell, death, and the grave, and over sin, and now only is triumphant. Not only triumphant, but, but gives us that same victory. 1 Corinthians tells us over in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 54, so in this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, Isaiah 25 tells us in verse number 8, he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of His people shall be taken away from all off the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. Today, may we live in the victory that is in Jesus. May we celebrate the victory found in Christ alone as we partake of the Lord's Supper and we get to then view this baptism. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask as we pray for Peter and for Jael to come forward, and then in just a moment after we pray, we'll pass out the elements.
God, we come to you this night. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we can celebrate these ordinances tonight, God, that you have commanded in your word. God, as well, that we can see in both the beautiful picture of the gospel that you have not just sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, but you have resurrected him to life to offer forgiveness of sins and life to all who would trust in him. God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts now as we partake of this and, and get to view as well the work that you've done and to see the Great Commission take, take place. I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight. Stir within our hearts. And Lord, if there be anything within us that is sinful or wicked, God, may we confess it to you now. And Lord, that we might come before you pure and clean and trusting in you, full of faith and assurance. In Christ's name, amen.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, Lord, during this time, we've had moments, minutes even, to reflect on this time, your word, your sacrifice for us. God, help us now, cleanse our hearts, and we look to you in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible tells us, before we partake, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 down through 28, For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The Lord Jesus drank of a far more terrible cup than we could ever imagine. A cup of the wrath of God poured out. He took for us. And as we partake of this wafer that is meant to taste bad, and it is. Matter of fact, there's a much better way to, to do so to even bring that out, but must remember tonight that we don't do this because it tastes good. We do this even to remind us of the bitterness of that cruel cross of which Christ was slain and crucified for us. We're reminded as we partake of His body that was broken, His blood that was shed, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as well as what Paul tells us here in verse 26, that as often as we do it, we do show the Lord's death Till he come, we're reminded that he is coming again. The king is coming. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. And we thank you to participate in such a solemn yet joyful moment. We remember what you faced upon that cross for us, but as well, the victory that is found in your resurrection and your soon return. God, help us tonight to worship you, to sing to you, and as well, to rejoice in the work that you've done in hearts, the work that you're going to continue to do. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to go take out this microphone so I don't get zapped in that water. And Jail's going to come and lead you guys in some singing. So y'all sing loud, sing to the Lord, let's worship him. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to dunk somebody. So get your ponchos ready and come on up if you want to get in the splash zone, all right? <laughs> we'll do a couple of songs, and if that's not enough, give him time to get ready. We'll sing some more. How's that? By your selection. 
597. Doug, we are going to get to sing this song. Take my life and let it be. If you need to stretch your legs, stand up and do so. If you're able, please stand. 597, take my life. I hope Miss Joanne knows that. We've played it once here recently. Yes. We didn't need brushing up on it a little bit. We'll do all six verses. I, I, I had never sung it all the way through. Take my life and let it be Verses in it. Amen. Hymn number 791. This is a blessing to be able to sing this song. Also, Jesus, we just want to thank you, and we need to be thankful about everything every day, don't we? Amen. Amen. 791, Jesus, we just want to thank you. All four verses. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus. 
All right. Can y'all hear me? All right. Praise the Lord. Hey, what a beautiful night, and uh, what a great time. It's, it's very rare that you get to, to do Lord's Supper and, and baptism, and, and we had kind of made it something to pray about this year, uh, to pray to be able to have some folks baptized, and, and uh, here in just a second, have Miss Carissa come down, and, but she come a, a long while back, actually, probably back right before, uh, close to when we got here, and said, we can get baptized, and uh, she want, if she wants to share more, she, she can, but um, we've been putting off, putting off, and, and holding on to the back of the pew, and we ain't budged, but, but today's a day. But uh, we're, no, we're, we're grateful uh, that tonight's the night, and excited, and grateful for what God's doing, what God's going to uh, continue to do. So, Miss Chrissy, come on down. And this is fresh Carroll County water here. She's a little nervous because Tony and myself and several, uh, pretty much that whole group right there said, hold her down till the bubbles come up. And I forgot my snorkel, so I can't give that to her. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I said I might have to bring her back up and dunk her back again. I might have to go a couple times. No, uh, tonight, Miss Krista, let me ask you, are you trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Is there anything you want to <laughs> do you have anything you want to tell the folks praise the lord amen it's my privilege to baptize you my sister in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost Praise the Lord. Most of us are happy. <laughs> it's, 
Anybody else tonight? Does anybody else feel that of the Lord needs needs to follow the Lord believers' baptism? The water's born. All right. Well, tonight I'm gonna ask if if, uh, if there's none others, if Brother Danny would close us in prayer, and y'all be dismissed. And thank you so much, and may the Lord continue to bless.